Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you, and there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. Hey friends, open your Bibles to the 51st Psalm. If you're not in a place where you have access to a traditional Bible, you can open up the version, or it's also called the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. Of course, we'll also put the scriptures right there on your screen, wherever it is that you're watching us from. I love you and I'm so grateful that you're part of our family. I was wondering this week if I'm the only person who struggled with the whole positivity thing since we started this series. I don't know if it's because I've been more negative or just more observant. Like I wouldn't normally consider myself to be a negative person, but for the past few weeks, it's been a bit of a struggle. I've noticed it more than I normally do, to say the least, in myself and in others. I've been hearing people make such a big deal about such small stuff. I was on a flight a few weeks ago and an older lady got on the plane last. She sat in a pretty good seat. She got the bulkhead, lots of leg room, but she started talking loud enough for everyone to hear about that jerk who wouldn't give her her seat assignment until the end. And she kept repeating herself, recruiting, rallying people to agree with her, doing her best to infect everyone around her. And I wanted to say, hey, grandma, stop, shut it down. Like this is a great seat. You've got the best seat outside of first class, but I didn't because that would be negative. Plus, my grandma told me, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So I put my headphones on and I shut my mouth because I didn't wanna feed into what she was trying to feed to the rest of us. You know, we have a tendency of developing an appetite for whatever it is we devour. I wonder what is it that you're devouring? And so I've been noticing more negativity, both around me and in me, and I don't like it. Again, I don't know if there's more of it happening or if I'm just noticing it more. Maybe I'm just paying attention. You know, you naturally notice stuff more when you're paying attention. That's obvious. Like when you're intentionally looking for it, like when you start thinking about buying a new car, it seems like you see that car everywhere, doesn't it? You never used to see that car, but now it seems like every time you drive anywhere, you see it. I think it's just a focus thing. Whatever it is you focus on, you're going to see. So I've been trying to focus on being positive. But what's been interesting is I've been noticing every time I haven't been positive and it's been bugging me because I never want to be the guy who doesn't practice what he preaches. Now, let me give you another little side angle to that. Since I, or you for that matter, may have been focusing on positivity, I and most likely you have been under attack. I've been, or should I say, we've been under opposition from our enemy. You know you have an enemy, right? And it's not your spouse or your kids, your boss or your neighbor. The apostle Peter tells us who it is. He said, your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
You know, what's interesting about lions is that they're pack hunters. They hunt in groups and they always have a distractor and an attacker. There's one lion who gets the attention of the prey. And while that lion distracts the prey, the other lions attack the prey. They literally come at it from multiple angles and they're patient, y'all, like really patient. I was watching National Geographic and this group of lions got a water buffalo separated from the herd and surrounded him in this little water hole. The lead lioness, she would roar and distract the buffalo and one of the other lions would jet in and bite or scratch the buffalo, then jet back out. And with every attack, the buffalo would wheel around to confront the attacker, but just a little bit too late. In and out, over and over, little wounds, one at a time, nothing big, but with each little attack, the buffalo was wounded just a little more, bled just a little more, expended just a little more energy. And for hours this went on, roar, small attack, spin around, roar, small attack, spin around, roar, small attack, spin around. And after hours of this routine, when the buffalo was completely exhausted from blood loss and from spinning to defend itself, the lead lioness launched the final attack, which by then was effortless. I wonder if you felt like you've been under attack this series, this month, this week, today, because I have. My relationships have been, my kids have been, my joy has been, my confidence has been. The enemy, he's been trying to surround me, trying to launch attacks from multiple angles, looking for my weak spot, looking for his opening. Nothing big. But with each little attack, I expend just a little more energy. Roar, small attack, spin around. Roar, small attack, spin around. Roar, small attack, spin around. Nothing big. Just these slight, small attacks on all the areas I've been talking about. Looking to discourage and distract, to sow doubt. He's been in and out attacking my optimism, slashing at my gratitude. In and out attacking my encouragement, slashing at my generosity. Saying like, why are you even talking about people looking at the bright side? You're not even doing that. You're critical and calloused, sarcastic and cynical. But you know what? I'm not having it. I'm neither critical nor calloused. I'm not sarcastic or cynical. Just because someone wants to say something doesn't mean I need to hear it. Just because someone wants to speak death over me doesn't mean I need to lie down in my grave. So rather than spin, I struggle. And the struggle is what gives me strength. Scripture tells us God's grace is all we need. His power is greatest when we're weak. So what our enemy intended to use to distract us, derail us, or destroy us has just opened the door for God to deliver us. And because of that truth, today I want to talk about something from a different perspective than maybe you've considered it before in a message that we're calling, I'm Enthusiastic. Let's pray. God, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for who you are, for what you do, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, that you speak life over us constantly. And so today, pray for my friends. I pray blessings on them. I pray that they would be enthusiastic in Jesus' name. Amen. Enthusiasm. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? I I think we have lots of ideas about enthusiasm. When we think of people who are enthusiastic, we naturally think of people who are energetic, excited, exuberant. Like when when I think about people who are enthusiastic, I think about my wife, Pastor Sunny, that she's very 
uh, enthusiastic. She's one of those people who smiles a lot. She, she dances out of nowhere. She would refer to herself as a, as a twirly girl. She's never really lost that innocence or that joy. You know, people who skip or spin a lot. I, I get the image in my mind of Julie Andrews running down the flowery field singing, the hills are alive with the sound of music. But that makes so many of us feel like we can't be that because that's not us. I mean, there's no doubt there are people who are more naturally enthusiastic or energetic, but I want to talk to you about a different side of enthusiasm today. I want to talk to you about the spiritual side. I think there are two distinctly different types of people in the world. First, people who let their environment influence their enthusiasm. And second, people who let their enthusiasm influence their environment. Pastor Sonny would say it like this. There are thermometers and there are thermostats. Thermometers let what's going on around them dictate the mood and spirit of their lives, while thermostats use their enthusiasm to influence their environment and the mood of the people around them. Let me tell you a quick story about my friend Vince. Vince runs a shoeshine stand at Mitchell Airport in Milwaukee. He's one of the most enthusiastic guys I know. I met him one day when I was walking through the terminal toward my gate, and I could hear this singing ahead of me, and it was pretty good. Just old Motown songs, just little runs and licks sprinkled in between compliments doled out to the people passing by. And I heard, look at that magnificent beard. Come on, bro, give me five minutes, friend. I'll make your shoes shine like your beard. I, I, I just kind of smiled and kept walking. I was in a hurry. And so I yelled back, next time. But then my flight was delayed and my next time became this time. So I headed back toward Vince to get my boots hooked up. And there he was still singing, still slinging compliments. How you doing, black shirt looking buff? How you doing, red dress? There she goes, Miss America. I just smiled and I walked up and, I, and he said, there he is, red beard, the Viking looking good, Ragnar. So I sat down I said, man, do you do this all day? The singing, the compliments? And he said, all day, every day. I said, why? He said, have you ever noticed how depressed people look in airports? They're all walking around in a hurry, distracted, stressed, grumpy. So I decided if I'm gonna be here, I'm gonna bring some joy to this place. And guys, he did. His enthusiasm, it was infectious. So I said, look, whatever they're paying you, it's not enough. I'll hire you right now and I'll pay you double whatever you make. I didn't even have a job for Vince, but because Vince is a thermostat, it makes him worth his weight in gold. In an environment where people are negative and grumpy, he's not letting his environment influence his enthusiasm. He's using his enthusiasm to influence his environment. And it's not just because he's a happy person. Vince has enthusiasm that comes from the root of where enthusiasm is born. Real enthusiasm is rooted in a spiritual connection with a good God. At its root, enthusiasm isn't just being energetic or excited. Those are symptoms of enthusiasm. Our English word enthusiasm actually comes from two Greek words, en and theos. En means in and theos means God. Enthusiasm literally means in God or filled with God. Enthusiasm is born out of a connection with and intimacy with God. It isn't just a mood. It's a result of a deeply personal relationship with God. So for so many of us, our enthusiasm, even when it comes to our relationship with God, it comes and it goes. It ebbs and it flows. It blows like the wind. It depends on our circumstances or 
Maybe it's because our lives have a way of becoming mundane or monotonous. But scripture says, but thank God. Why? Because he gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus. And y'all, that ought to be enough right there. Like, don't ever be a Jesus person for so long that you lose your enthusiasm over the truth of that verse. Because then he says, my dear brothers and sisters, and I love this line, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord because you know that nothing you do for God is ever useless. And so enthusiasm transforms mundane things into meaningful things. It's why scripture tells us whatever you do, in other words, if you're mowing yards or waiting tables, if you're a stay-at-home parent or a CEO, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart because you're working for the Lord, not for people. So enthusiasm isn't a product of our environment. It's a posture of our hearts. I wonder, what's the posture of your heart? Now, what I want to do for the rest of the time together is I want to look at a guy most of us have heard of, but I want to talk about his entheos. I, I want to look at the spiritual enthusiasm of a little boy who grew up to be king. And I want to show you when he had spiritual enthusiasm and when he lost spiritual enthusiasm, because maybe some of you are there. You had enthusiasm, but you've lost it. And I want to suggest, just like David, you can get it back. Let's start with like this super well-known story about David, but I want to read it through the lens of spiritual enthusiasm. Israel, it's at war with a group of people called the Philistines, and they placed their most fearsome warrior, Goliath, on the front lines, and he's been yelling threats and insults at the Jewish army for weeks. He's over nine feet tall. He's 500 pounds of muscle. He's undefeated. He is a monster. And he keeps yelling for somebody to come fight him, but understandably, no one will. Until one day, David shows up on the scene, and he says, who's this fool? He's insulting God? Like, guys, what are we doing? It's on. I'm going to kill this guy. Now, Watch the spiritual enthusiasm. This isn't a feeling. This is born out of a deep devotion to God. David says to Goliath, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you've defied. But today, the Lord, he's gonna deliver you into my hands. I'm gonna strike you down. I'm gonna cut your head off and I'm gonna give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. Guys, that enthusiasm wasn't born out of human strength. The odds, they were stacked against him. That enthusiasm was born en theos, David's confidence in God. But how was this teenage boy so confident? Where did that enthusiasm come from? Well, it came from three things. First, he trusted God daily. Second, he walked with God daily. And third, he worshiped God daily. Let me flesh that out. First, At this point in David's life, he's only responsible for taking care of his father's sheep. And that consisted of two things, a lot of isolation and a lot of attacks. Doesn't that sound like some of our situation right now? A lot of isolation and a lot of attacks. But for David, there were real predators that were constantly trying to eat his sheep. Scripture actually tells us about two particular attacks, one from a lion and one from a bear. And the accounts in the scripture tell us he doesn't silently shoo them away. He courageously charges towards them. 
And so David, he's used to trusting in God. He's used to running toward resistance. And so when he comes across a giant who's mocking his Messiah, he just does what he's been doing every other day in the field, ruthlessly running toward resistance. Why wouldn't he? He trusted God daily. But he also walked with God daily. How do we know that? Well, just look at the words of the 23rd Psalm. This wasn't written by someone who just went to church for an hour a week to check the box. These words come from the heart of someone who has a deep, intimate relationship with God that only comes when you walk with him every day. You've probably heard it before, but David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're there. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those are the words of someone who spent a lot of time walking with God. And so David, he trusted God daily. He walked with God daily. And third, he worshiped God daily. The Bible tells a story about a time when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to town. And the Ark, it represented God's very presence. And scripture says when the Ark came into town, David worshiped God. He danced with all his might. He was going bananas. He was going crazy. He was so into it that his own wife was like, bro, you're humiliating yourself. But David, he didn't care because when you're in the middle of genuine worship, I mean, I know it's shut down right now, but do you remember when you used to go to a Packer game and in the middle of January, the only thing that separated that guy from the elements was body paint? That's like real worship. The difference here is that David, he was doing it for God and it wasn't the first time that he was that moved by the presence of God. He was totally comfortable in the condition of his enthusiasm. But the tragic twist to David's tale is that his enthusiasm didn't last. As he got older, and as God promoted him, we see his fire start to flicker and fade. So when we look at David, we see a couple distinct seasons in his life. We have a season where this young champion is courageously charging towards lions and bears and giants, where he's deeply ingrained and theos in God. But then we see another season where the aged king is cowering in his chair while conflict is being carried out against his kingdom. Watch this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David, the king, sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. But David, the king, he remained in Jerusalem. And verse two is one of the saddest scriptures in the whole book. It was the beginning of a really tragic season in David's life. It says one evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. And if you don't know what happens, all his boys are gone to war where he should be. He's probably bored. So he goes to his rooftop deck. He's sightseeing, probably looking at the stars. And he looks over and he sees a beautiful naked woman bathing on the roof of her house. And so he sends somebody to go get her. And one thing led to another. And he has an inappropriate relationship with her. He gets her pregnant. He panics. He sends for her husband to be brought brought back from the battle lines. He tries to convince her husband to have a relationship with her to, as the Bible says, lay with her, but he has too much integrity. He has too much character. He says no. And so David panics and he has her husband killed. Listen, because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He saw something he wasn't supposed to see. He thought something he wasn't supposed to think. 
did something he wasn't supposed to do and took something he wasn't supposed to take all because he lost something he wasn't supposed to lose, his enthusiasm. He took his eyes off his calling and put them on his comfort. Where are your eyes today? Are they on your calling or on your comfort? When they're on your comfort, you want what you want, when you want. You want it your way, right away. When they're on your comfort, you make such a big deal about such small stuff. When they're on your comfort, you want everyone to hear about that jerk who wouldn't give you your seat assignment. When they're on your comfort, you keep repeating yourself, recruiting, rallying people to your cause, trying to get anyone to agree with you. You do your best to infect everyone around you. But when you put them on your calling, you're going to walk into your house at the end of the day and let your entheos, the God in you, change the atmosphere of that house. When you put your eyes on your calling, you're going to walk up to your wife, plant a big kiss on her and tell her, baby, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. I love you with all my heart, which fair warning, the first time you do, she might ask you how much you've been drinking. But the second or third, fourth or fifth time you do it, something's going to start happening in your marriage. When you put your eyes on your calling, something different's going to start happening at your job. You're going to stop doing it for a paycheck and start doing it for Jesus. And when you start doing it for Jesus, stuff's going to start to click. Stuff's going to start to change. It's going to start to come together. When you start to work enthusiastically, not for yourself, not for your name or your glory, but for his name and his glory. When you take your eyes off your comfort and put them on your calling, you won't let your environment dictate your enthusiasm because your enthusiasm will dictate your environment. Everything you do, you'll do it for the glory of God. But listen, sometimes the shift from comfort to calling requires a confrontation, which is what God does for David. Notice I said for David, not to David. Because sometimes God allows challenges to happen in our lives because he's trying to create the conditions we need to change from comfort to calling. And so for David, God sent David's most trusted spiritual advisor, Nathan, to confront him. And Nathan says, David, let me tell you a story. Uh, There's this rich guy and the rich guy, he took someone else's land. It was a poor guy. It was the only thing that the poor guy owned. And when the poor guy complained about it, The rich guy, he killed the poor guy. And like the rest of us would be, David was appalled. And he says, that's horrible. It's like the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. That guy, the rich guy, he should die. And Nathan says one of the most chilling lines in the whole Bible. He says, David, you're that man. And David has a choice. Continue living in his comfort or change. Start chasing his calling again. And in the sight of Nathan, David falls apart. He realizes he's failed and he writes a prayer of repentance in the 51st Psalm. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. What was the joy of his salvation? It was his enthusiasm. When the young champion was courageously charging towards lions and bears and giants, when he was drenched in theos, when he was in the right place at the right time, rather than the wrong place at the wrong time. And he was only restored when he repented, when he returned his life to be in theos, in God, filled with God. What about you today? Are you chasing your comfort? Or are you chasing your calling? Are you trusting God daily? 
walking with Him daily and worshiping Him daily? Are you enthusiastic and theos filled with God? If you're not, you've got good news. You're in the right place at the right time. Would you close your eyes? You know, salvation is purely what David did in the 51st Psalm, which is interesting, even though he was defined as a man after God's own heart, he had to repent. Salvation is repentance, recognizing what it is that you've done wrong and requesting God's forgiveness, asking that he makes you change. And so maybe you're watching this today and that's you. Your life is in ruins. You've done so many things that you regret, so many things that you wish you hadn't and you need Jesus to come into your life, refresh you, restore you, reboot your heart and let you start again. We're gonna give you the opportunity to do that today. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that you're a sinner, but that Jesus can change you, you will be saved. And so today I'm gonna say a few lines in a prayer and if you repeat those lines and you mean them in your heart, you'll be changed, saved, rescued, restored, renewed. You begin the journey away from where you are toward where he wants you to be. So will you do that today? Will you say these words? Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, you just began the most beautiful journey. And all we want is to be able to walk that journey with you. So if you do us this huge favor, if you would reach out to us and let us know that you received Jesus as your Savior today, we would love the opportunity to follow up with you and to walk that road with you. But we're not done. Maybe you're watching this and you're going to heaven. You're a Jesus guy. You're a Jesus girl. You've received him as your Lord and Savior. But you say, like, I'm bummed. I'm I'm. I'm down, man. You know, a pandemic will do that to you. So if you're here and you say, Sean, I'm lacking enthusiasm, I'd like for you to pray enthusiasm in God. Can I pray that you'd have more God in you? You'd be more enthusiastic today. So God, for my friends, thank you for them. Thank you for who they are to me, what they are to me, and what they do for me. God, I pray blessings on them that there'd be more God in them than there's ever been. Boost their enthusiasm in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.